0: Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 138 from Monday, April 26th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me as always is Johnny, but you may know him better as Pixel Riffs. Hello, and we
1: got into a bit of a late start on the podcast today, but uh, yeah, hopefully this should be coming out to you guys relatively expediently. And if you want to hear more of this podcast, if you have the time in your day to listen to us chatting a bit about the natural world... Uh, You can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast, by supporting the show at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. And here we are uh, in our quick login as per usual, Joel, what have you been doing in Minecraft this week?
0: Well, uh, I'll start by saying that I uh, kicked off the week by flipping over into the latest snapshot and playing on Thursday in a, uh, a snapshot world and uh had a much different experience that i did the week before because Mm -hmm. i did not use the caves and cliffs prototype data pack Uh, i decided to uh forego that headache because i was seeing lots of creators online saying that it was not stable they were getting a lot of lag stuff uh so i said you know i i'd rather play the snapshot in the way that we're going to receive the first part of these the Caves and Cliffs update this summer, which is not going to have Caves and Cliffs generation. Yeah, so, a sensible uh, decision.
1: I'd been having those uh, those lag issues as well. Like in about 50% of my worlds, I just ended up either having it immediately or like about halfway through playing on like a an hour into a, a playthrough, I'd find it started happening out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, and apparently it's a known bug. Uh, there are some things that can fix it. Uh, but I, I would encourage people that if you are going to try and stay in the snapshot from week to week and not reset every week, then you might want to try the snapshot without the uh, Caves and Cliffs prototype data pack, at least until these issues seem to be, you know, something of the past. Uh, as we're working more towards 1.18, you might find that the data pack becomes more stable or those snapshots become more stable as, as things go forward. Um, but I, I'm focusing on the blocks, the new blocks to build with and new mechanics where I can find them. So right now I'm kind of hoping to find a geode. Um, I haven't found anything uh, too far as far as like really special things are concerned. Have a lot of copper, uh, found a lot of copper, uh, built a lightning rod, not that we've really used it for anything. Uh, and really the the first stream, which is just, again, it was a reset uh, of the of the world. So I started by punching logs again. And I got all the way to having quartz and an ender port, uh, not an ender portal, um, a nether portal, and uh, found iron in the first ten minutes. Now, bit, bit of a, bit of a favor on my side of that. I didn't change the seed. I played the exact same seed that I did, that I did with the um, world generation two weeks ago. So I knew where I was going. I knew that there was a ravine nearby. I knew that there was a desert. Uh, and all that kind of stuff. So I did have a faster start than usual, but that's fine because I wanted to get up and running quickly. Uh, But I had no problem finding iron. I eventually found diamonds. And so uh, we got pretty much all sorted out as far as base level tech in the first three hours of of play. And then I did find myself wondering what to do next Mm -hmm. because I'm so build driven. Like if I was building a castle or if I was building, you know, a farm or whatever it was that I wanted to do, I would know that, okay, well, I have to either go mine a lot of stuff or I have to go find a lot of this block or I have to go cut down a lot of trees, which maybe means a tree farm. I had no building plans. I'm only looking for the block, the new blocks in the game. Uh, So I haven't done much with the raw ore blocks because, you know, I just haven't, I needed all the iron that I was gathering currently. Yeah. So uh, I I think the next time I stream, I'm going to focus on like, wh- if hopefully I'll find a geode. And if I can find a geode, then I'm probably going to try to do something with the tinted glass. You know, try to make a mob spawner or do, do something and kind of experiment with the tinted glass. Uh, I am in the desert. I'm living in the desert viz- village. So there's lots of mobs spawning everywhere at nighttime. So th- there's potential there to do a lot of really cool stuff. Um, the other thing is is that, I mean, I can build with copper, but that's about it. We don't have any other functions for copper. So right now it's just, it's just those kind of pallets. So... I, I'm hoping to kind of get more into the um, lush cave blocks and some of those things and maybe create like an oasis in the desert or do, just try to focus on what you can do with the new block. So that's kind of like where, where I'm headed. So I'm going to have to see what happens with the, the snapshot this week, uh, per, provided we have one, and see what I might be able to to sort of going forward. Yeah. Um, and then go, and then the, the rest of the week, uh, I actually switch gears completely. And on the Citadel... I did spend a little bit of time putting an interior into a tower, but it was like an hour. Uh, The rest of the weekend was spent finally putting a a big storage system underneath the keep in the medieval town. So I can now store things like dirt, grass, stone, stone bricks, all the other stones, uh, three different kinds of logs and sand and gravel just to have a place to like empty out shulker boxes and refill shulker boxes and all that kind of stuff. And it was fun. I haven't built a sorting system in a long time. I tried something new um, I don't normally bother to align items with the edges of things. You know how you have to kind of put them on the edge of hoppers so they don't stack up. Yeah. um, I've never had a stack like get caught in a hopper before. so um, but at uh, this time, I wanted to try it, and I used honey blocks. So instead of lining up with a chest, I actually lined up with honey blocks along the whole back of the storage system. And it gives kind of a cool golden look to the whole thing. And I wanted this to look good. So I've, I've decked it all out in oak and in spruce. And I think I'm going to turn the entire basement of the keep into like a distillery for like maybe honeymead or beer or just give it kind of a cool look. Uh, half of the broom is going to be manual storage. This half is going to be all the, the um, essential kind of stuff we have just a ton of all the time with all the landscaping and wall building and stuff that I do and uh it's it's a closed loop so i didn't put an overflow chest which you see a lot of people do on their storage systems so you really have to be careful what you're putting in if you put something that you don't want or does not have a filter in there it's just going to go on around forever until it despawns Mm -hmm. um but because the hoppers can only take i think it's 24 items at once or 23 items at once um then that you have to uh make sure that if you put a whole stack of items in that it can then go around the horn again until it's all gone and uh, it works like a top i you know didn't have any issues uh i think one or two filters weren't working and i had forgot to put in a hopper somewhere and i just kind of went in and replaced it but everything worked out great it was it was a lot of fun i haven't done a redstone build in a long time
1: Nice, yeah. It's always satisfying getting these projects done as well, especially if you've moved to a new area and you're like, right, I'm I'm sick of like living out of the back of my car, basically, and having like a couple of build chests around. Once you really get established in an area, then it's nice to finally put one of these together. And it's the kind of thing that takes a while, and you kind of put off doing it, but it really does save a bunch of time once it's there. So, yeah, I I heartily approve. I do the same thing with the the storage building that I've used for the majority of Survival Guide has been you know, auto-sorted storage for all of the bulk stuff, all of the stone and granite and the wood types and I think wool and sand and that kind of stuff. And then everything upstairs is all manually sorted because most of the time I haven't needed to chuck in, you know, a couple of stacks of purple glazed terracotta, for example. I've never really had that stuff lying around. So more often than not, that stuff is just kind of stashed away in odds and ends in, in manually sorted chests. But... um. Having now done the giant sorting system at the museum, I think I would go back to having a smaller scale storage system. It's just not necessary for the most part. And honestly, the, the further you have them travel, the more risk you have of items just getting lost in the, the ins and outs of a storage system that size. A lot of water streams to figure out as well. So yeah, it's... Uh... It's it's nice to have a, a bit of a, a mix between the two, and you've also got barrels in there as well. Do you keep anything in the barrels, or is that just for decoration? Because I notice you've used those as one of the elements of the pillars.
0: Uh, the decoration currently, but like I absolutely want to put things in there that I need, and I'm thinking things like the polished versions of andesite, diorite, granite, uh, uh, any kind of thing that we might use that ha- needs like. Uh, I've got a spot for coarse dirt but like some of the filters you could always switch them out like I've got two places for stone and I might find I don't need six double chests of stone maybe I only use three because I'm constantly placing it as much as I am picking it up so I might not need that much of it so I might find other uses for it. Um, I do want to put other storage in the area and have places to put down shulker boxes. Uh, So as you can see in the the screenshots for those in the the live chat, there's blocks of what's in each storage uh, at the foot of the storage. That's temporary. Eventually, there's a hopper there that you can put a shulker box in and get filled up. So if you want a chest full of dark oak logs, you can just grab the shulker box, put down the empty one, and then go about your business with a full one. And then when you come back, the one that's there has been filled up again. So it's it's a, a system we used in the modern city because I was going through so much concrete uh and we needed to have that kind of stuff all stored so i'm looking forward to kind of like developing this as i need like it's not something i can sit down and just build all in one weekend because i kind of need to know like how am i coming in another room what things do i want to i want to build with like where do i want to put the shulker boxes on the wall like and i think that some barrels are going to be used i think what i want to do is i want to decorate it to have it look like a bunch of shelves in the world that the players would like store and do the different things with right um, but I'm going to use it for then, like, you know, this is full of stairs. This is full of, um, you know, banners, whatever, like whatever I'm using to build in in the city slabs, like things I'm going to be using a lot of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be aesthetic, but then also, you know, something for me uh, in, in the long run. So th- the one thing that I think that um, is going to be challenging is to try to decorate it because it's one thing to build a storage system. They're pretty straightforward, but if you want to make it look nice, It's a little bit trickier, and I I don't have a shot of it, but the the staircase that comes down through the middle, this is accessible from the kitchen in the keep, and in the middle of the staircase, I have what looks like a faux fireplace and that's actually where you walk up to a couple of pressure plates and the floor opens up and then you can toss in the items into a water stream so you don't put stuff into a chest there's no dropper noises you're just throwing stuff directly into the into the a pit with a water stream and and they go on their way so i'm trying to figure out like is that the best location for the drop-off there's all these things that i feel like the ebb and flow of a a sorting system or any kind of storage room you kind of want to take your time to design it so that it comes together as to your needs as opposed to trying to shift your behavior to suit a room that you built all at once
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i like the idea of turning it into a distillery though i feel like it it suits Mm -hmm. the 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 theme of the town really well and i think the most difficult part is making sure that the space stays accessible to you and that you don't end up cluttering it with detail that's then a pain in the butt to walk around i feel like i've done that too often where i've decided to store important stuff in a room that i want to pack full of other details and then I realized that I'm having to like hop over stairs that I've placed as seats and things like that just so I can get to the chest at the back of the room that has all of the stuff I actually need so it's a fine line to walk if you're making it an aesthetic addition but I think the idea of especially since you've got honey blocks and a bit of yellow or orange glass in there like making it into a, a kind of honeymead <laughs> distillery actually works really well thematically speaking
0: and I'm going to have to get good at waxing blocks because if I time things right, depending on when I get to actually making the distillery decorations, I could be making giant copper stills out of the new copper blocks. Right?
1: Oh, that's that's the life right there. <laughs> and, right? and and having lightning rods as like smaller pipes coming up out of them and stuff like the Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, this week I have been on the hunt for all of the food types in Minecraft for an exhibit at the museum. I decided, thanks to uh, a couple of people having suggested it over the last few weeks in my Twitch chat, to turn the food exhibit of the museum into, like, the museum cafeteria. Or like, or like a cafe kind of area where uh, patrons of the museum and, and guests could come and get a meal, as is common if you're going to be spending the entire day at a museum. There's normally like a little cafe that you can get at least a cup of coffee and a pastry or something. And so I went out in search of enchanted golden apples, knowing that they were going to be the the most difficult thing to find. And the first two desert temples I stumbled upon both had them. (laughs) So that was possibly the easiest enchanted golden apples I've ever got in my days. And now that you can't craft them since 1.9, I was really worried that I was going to have trouble finding them. So I I planned out maybe an entire episode's worth of searching desert temples for them and then found them near instantly
0: <laughs> and then had to scramble for something else to do to make up a bit of time. <laughs> it's always the case, like you get so prepared and then just like RNG just says, oh, by the way, here, have a nice day, you know? Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. But then I, I was able to work in some of the stuff I'd learned from Jevin on the last Clash of the Creators about finding buried treasure chests at certain coordinates and stuff. So I was able to make it more of a treasure hunting episode in the end, but was uh, was really happy with that. And it means that I just don't have to spend the time searching my world for more possible locations you know the uncertainty is taken out of it and i can just barrel ahead with what i was planning to do which is yeah like a little kind of mini restaurant build on one wing of the museum i've kind of got that opposite uh, on the opposite side from but in a similar location to the uh, mob exhibit which is going to start in the opposite wing and I kind of thought that made a nice balance, where if you go on the right-hand side, you get to harming stuff. If you go on the left-hand side, you get to healing stuff, and it, nice. it kind of creates a, a nice balance as part of the uh, the kind of inner ring of exhibits. So uh, there was that, and then yesterday, speaking of Clash of the Creators, there was another one. Uh, this time with a different team: uh, myself, Avomance, Vigo Man, and Chimney Swift all teamed up to be one of seven teams actually participating in this month's clash of the creators um so it's growing more and more which is really exciting to see uh this time the theme was different ways to die and instead of it being every single possible death in minecraft there were basically 30-ish uh custom advancements themed around different like really silly ways to die um or, or just like, yeah, un- unfortunate deaths getting creepered was one of them. Uh, blowing yourself up with TNT was a separate one. Um, being killed by a villager was one of them, which kind of required you to equip a villager with a thorn's chest plate using a dispenser. So there were a few that, like, instead of it just being like, oh, you got killed by a zombie, oh, you got killed by a skeleton or whatever, like, there were a few different ones which took longer and it took a bit more kind of planning and strategy. So uh, our team actually ended up winning, (laughs) which was incredible. It was um, a really close race in the end between us and the other two teams who came in second and third. There was only one point between each team. So I think we ended up with 65 points overall. They ended up with 64 and 63. But it was the first event where everybody who participated, I think, except for maybe some of the teams lower down the ladder managed to do everything it was possible to do in the challenge like within an hour and a half we were done with all of our objectives because turns out it's quite easy to die in this game although the ways that you can die are obviously uh, the focus of this one but uh, having come second in all of the other clash of the creators i've participated in it was uh, really fun to come in first for once nice congrats that's a lot of fun yeah, yeah, it was it was great, and uh, I think the the MVP of the night was uh, probably Chimney Swift, who found the stronghold without having to look for it with an eye of Ender, because it was one of those strongholds that generated underwater. <laughs> so the portal room was just under the ocean, and it was relatively close to the ocean monument that they'd been going to to get the Elder Guardian deaths and stuff. Um, and the way it works was anybody who got the advancement first got three points, but then anybody who uh, you know, did that afterwards. Like every other team was able to get two points, but it just came down to which tasks you accomplished first. And I think in the end we scored 10 and the next team below us scored nine. And so the, the points just worked out that we were one point ahead at the end, which, uh, yeah, t- turned out really great. But I, th- I think it was kind of worth me practicing a little bit beforehand. Like I'd practiced the speedrunner method of building a nether portal without having to go and like look for diamonds and stuff like doing the bucket method of building a nether portal. And stuff like that saved us a bit of time. And then I think we were the first team into the end. I ended up fighting the dragon without a bow, which (laughs) because we had keep keep inventory turned on, which otherwise would have been absolutely miserable going back and collecting our items all of the time. But um, I set my spawn at the stronghold And then i was climbing up the end towers by using a water bucket by the end of it and so i was just able to hop up to the top of the tower blow up the crystal if i blew up it didn't matter because then i could just go straight back through the portal i still had all my stuff on me i could go back to fighting the dragon and so yeah there there were just a couple of a couple of little time saves and things we realized as we were going along that really kind of uh, clutched the victory in the end so was was very happy about that can't wait to see what the next event is because they they keep coming up with really interesting themes for each one of these
0: such a cool thing that you can do now with uh custom advancements you know with yeah. data packs you creating these little mini games be competitions uh thriving on players knowledge of the game of speed runs of like different things that were kind of like the only other way you could really kind of do competitive stuff in Minecraft beyond PvP was just like speed runs and a couple of other similar things. Whereas this is like, well, you can, the game can actually track how you're doing, you know, with the with the custom advancements and, and give you a roadmap as to like, what are your goals for, yeah. for the competition? That's really cool.
1: I think the best part about it is seeing, because they've linked all of the servers behind the scenes and there's a plugin that's kind of, you know, transmitting chat from other servers into our server so we know what every other team is doing and sometimes that's just you know putting the pressure on us thinking oh okay they've managed to achieve that so maybe we can back off on that and you know save it until later because we're only going to get two points for it regardless and sometimes yeah it, it just kind of changes the dynamic of stuff and i think there were some people in the chat kind of doing the maths and going okay how many points does each team now need to get in order to come out on top And the fact that everybody watching can track it with a Twitch extension is really cool as well. So I think the whole event has just really started to get very polished and is is really well put together now. It uh, It was a lot of fun to participate in. And yeah, hopefully there's another one coming up towards the end of May very very cool
0: uh yeah sunday afternoon uh twitch was a light all of like half of my twitch follow list was online Mm -hmm. yeah everyone gets involved it's it's always really funny
1: to see who everybody raids afterwards as well because there's there's inevitably a couple of other minecraft creators who a few people follow that just get like a thousand people descending on them after these streams it's great fun nice
0: what do you say we move on to the news this week yeah let's get to it there's a lot to talk about again Starting off with Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 21w16a, this week's snapshot introduces changes to azaleas and dripstone, as well as tweaks to the textures for raw ores. Azalea and flowering azalea can now be bone milled to get an azalea tree, and they've added dripstone growth to the game. Dripstone growth, occurs if a stalactite is hanging from a dripstone block with a water source above it. It will slowly grow both the stalactite from above and the stalagmite from below. Growth speed is random and very slow. A single growth step can take several Minecraft days. A stalactite will only grow up to seven blocks down from the ceiling in length. A stalactite will only cause a stalagmite to grow from the floor or a stalagmite below within 10 blocks. If the stalactite tip is inside water, it won't drip and therefore won't trigger growth. If the stalagmite tip is inside water, it won't receive drops and therefore won't grow by dripping from a stalactite. Growth will also stop if there are any fluids between the tips of the stalactite and the stalagmite. A stalagmite or stalactite will never grow into a fluid. Changes in 21w16a tweaked the textures of raw ores and raw ore blocks. For a full-size image, there is going to be a link in our show notes. Uh, There's also a link on the Minecraft.net article. Changes in the Caves and Cliffs preview data pack. Uh, Again, a link to download that data pack will be in our show notes, as well as the Minecraft.net article. Aquifers below height zero will sometimes be lava aquifers instead of water aquifers, and ore veins can now spawn underground. Ore veins are large, rare, snake like underground ore formations. Copper veins from above height zero are mixed with granite. Iron veins from below height zero are mixed with tough. Some technical changes in 21W16A. Users who previously permanently declined server resource packs will now still be shown the pack prompt if the pack is mandatory instead of being immediately disconnected. The statistic for playtime has been renamed to play underscore time and there is now a statistic for time with world open uh, which is total underscore world underscore time. That also includes the time when the game was paused.
1: Naturally these snapshots are moving into a phase where a lot of bugs are getting fixed along the way and fixed bugs of note in 21w16a include mobs not avoiding lava cauldrons when pathfinding despite setting themselves on fire. Using bone meal on a sapling on a moss block consumed the bone meal but didn't grow saplings into trees. Mobs being able to spawn on top of azaleas, presumably those are the azalea saplings, the kind of 3D models of them. Uh, moss requiring air above a replaceable block to spread. Azalea trees generating inside of lakes even when completely submerged in water. Copper and coal ore and deep slate patches were not deep slate ores glow squids and axolotls spawning in ocean monuments, and not being able to grow azalea trees by bone-mealing azalea plants. We also had a Minecraft Bedrock Edition changelog, this is actually 1.17.0.5, which is the first kind of official Minecraft Bedrock beta update for the Caves and Cliffs update. Uh, You will need to enable Caves and Cliffs experimental features to check out the new features in beta, but they've talked about potentially rolling some of these out soon, I presume that's kind of alluding to the uh, summer release that's going to happen concurrently with Java. The new features in the Bedrock beta include Amethyst Geodes and various Amethyst Blocks and items. Amethyst Geodes are of course found anywhere underground in the overworld and have outer layers of Smooth Basalt and Calcite. So Calcite, tough and Smooth Basalt have now all been added to the game. You can of course Smelt Basalt to obtain Smooth Basalt if you don't want to go looking for it in a geode. Tinted glass has arrived, which is crafted as usual with glass and amethyst shards. The spyglass has been added, crafted with copper and amethyst shards. And raw ores and raw ore blocks have also made their way into the bedrock beta. There are a bunch of tweaks and fixes, a full list of which is in the article over on minecraft.net. So check that out in the show notes if you want to learn more about the bedrock beta.
0: So when we're breaking down some of the new things that hit the Java snapshot this week, uh, I was surprised when they said, hey, you can now bone meal azalea saplings to get azalea trees, but so far they're just oak trees with different formations and the flowering azalea trees in the branches.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's, you know, I would love a wood type from azalea, but I understand the hesitation at this point. And because any time a new wood is added, that automatically means adding 14 more items. And Mm -hmm. if a unique Azalea wood wasn't necessarily in scope for Caves and Cliffs originally, considering they've now had to announce they're splitting it up because of the the workload on the team, um, I doubt they would add it now, you know? Like, I, I feel like they are just committed to the features that they've announced at this stage and... There is still potential for azalea to have its own unique tree in future, in the same way that, you know, leaf textures weren't different for some of the different trees until much later when textures were revised, and, you know, there are still scope for a lot of things to change about this. So if if in future they want to add another wood type, azalea might be on that list, uh, along with some of the other trees that they've mentioned in other updates to biomes, like the desert was going to get palm trees, and the swamp might have had mangrove, and... I think it's going to be uh, interesting to see if they decide to make those changes in future.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I did notice that there was quite a few, obviously azalea flowering azalea leaves. So I didn't do any testing, but I would imagine that you can. Um, it might be the faster way to get flowering leaves. I don't know how much you get when you're bone milling moss and stuff in terms of um, bushes and leaves and things like that. Uh, to actually make them. So if you want to use those bushes with the flowering uh, purple flowers on them, then you, growing azalea trees might be the best way to do that.
1: I haven't had a chance to test the azalea bone mealing yet. Is there a difference between bone mealing a regular azalea and a flowering azalea? Like, do they do they make trees with different proportions
0: of leaves? That I don't know. And I couldn't even tell from, because um, I didn't run into any in the snapshot. I, I See, this is the other thing, is I, I didn't find a way to get them like i mean sure you can bone meal the the saplings but i guess it's wandering trader is how you come across them in the first place because lush caves aren't being generated in the snapshot so you have to get them somehow
1: yeah you need um, to get moss blocks i think from a trader i don't think you can th- get them any other way right now
0: yeah so so there's a there's definitely a, a like a, a bit of luck and a bit of rng to get them so i just haven't come across that yet oh or, uh, i'm looking shipwrecks
1: to it. shipwrecks are the other uh source oh Re- reading, yes
0: reading this from the minecraft wiki Right. Yeah. So again, like different things that I need to add to my to-do list in the snapshot playthrough, which is good. Like I need I need to know this kind of stuff because otherwise it just kind of gets a little confusing. Um but I'm looking forward to seeing like, you know, whether I can come up with a cool farm for like bone meal, redstone, you know, auto collection, like how like what's going to be the better way to to get the, the trees um cuz they don't look like they're super fun to chop down. Like they they kind of start going off in angles similar to um I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Acacia gra- trees. Acacia. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I, I need like sim- the ones you meant. The, the the ones that have like multiple trunks and different like flat canopies yeah. to them.
0: Yeah. Flat canopies, and they kind of they kind of go off at little angles, and so very often those top blocks are out of your reach unless you have to climb up on them. Like whereas if you have a short oak tree, you can generally just chop up the middle of it. Same with a chop a short. Um, spruce tree it's very straightforward to to get those down um but with the the azalea it's a little bit tougher and so the sorry yeah no azalea and the acacia um a little bit tougher and so i i'm not sure what's going to be the most efficient slash what's going to be the most painstaking or enjoyable like it is yes you might get less leaves from bone milling moss less azalea but you might just enjoy the process better because it's less jumping around you know
1: I really like the design of azalea trees though they have that kind of swept back look to them which mm-hmm. Im- yep. implies wind has been shaping the tree as it's grown which obviously doesn't really occur with anything in Minecraft the only other indication that there is wind at all is the floating banner kind of uh, yep. behavior and so it's it's kind of neat to see them introduce stuff like that to imply certain things about the world even if if you grow azalea, the direction of that I think is fairly random. It's not like they always point north or anything. So, I, I I wonder how that would really give the impression of that if there was a bunch of them in one area. But I think it's nice that we can at least grow the leaves. Like the the leaves, flowering leaves, and a three D sapling shape all have a lot of potential to be used even without an, a unique azalea wood. I feel like it's still given us a lot of stuff that other trees didn't have before. So I'm looking forward to seeing how people uh, use some of the new azalea stuff without it necessarily having its own unique wood type.
0: Well, and one thing that's nice about that windswept silhouette is that later on in 118, they're going to be used to mark that there is a lush cave below them. So you're going to want to be able to spot them and separate them visually from the other oak trees and spruce trees and stuff that are around them. So Mm -hmm.
1: So, uh, with regards to the raw ore blocks... There is actually another pass at these as far as the texture is concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, On April 23rd, uh, Jasper Burstra posted another set of screenshots. There were a couple of comparisons side by sides of the old textures and the new, and it seems like he's pretty happy with most of these. The gold ore has been brightened a little bit, there's been highlights added to the copper, and the uh, raw iron block texture has completely been overhauled. So oh, wow. the uh, the one that's in this week's snapshot or rather last week's snapshot uh, is potentially now going to be replaced by these textures, which hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, if we get a snapshot this week, we should be able to uh, play around with these. And I was never that worried about the different raw or block textures to begin with. Uh, they were kind of curiosities to me, but I didn't have any strong opinions about any of them. I still think these are an improvement, though. How do you feel about those now?
0: Uh, I'm starting to get kind of like brain screwy about like <laughs> trying to compare. It's like there's so many very similar iterations to them. He's taken the the iron or no, hold on, let me get this right because I was trying to play around with these in creative, and you can't find them if you type iron ore or gold ore. You have to type block. <laughs> of raw gold or or you know raw iron or whatever Mm -hmm. uh which is is confusing when you completely think about them the other way um but yes I, i feel like there's been so many iterations that uh i'm on board with i mean i think he's taken he's taken gold up a notch in terms of contrast um it looks more like it's chunky which is nice it looks less like um like a fish scale which i think is good um, the copper, I don't see, I'm trying to flip back and forth between them. There's, again, it just feels like they're more saturated, maybe higher contrast. Uh, and certainly the iron, I think is the biggest change. Uh, it's, it's got a lot more of a variety of colors. It looks shinier, which is cool. I think that's probably a good way to go. Um, cause otherwise it just looked like A cobblestone block that you can't use with anything else (laughs) yeah (laughs) i
1: I think to me it seems more like it is composed of the raw iron item like it actually looks a little bit more to me like it's composed Mm -hmm. of a bunch of that smushed together which we can only presume is what these kind of storage blocks are supposed to be in the same way that like a nether wart block is made by just compacting it down into a meter by meter block and i think yeah there was some that looked in terms of the iron the raw iron block looked a, a little bit too cobblestone-y, a little bit too just like jumbled, and and all more or less the same size, whereas this has a variety of shapes in there that I think give it a bit more character. So yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm not sure quite where these are going to fit into my gameplay experience yet, but I haven't had a huge problem with any of these textures, and I think these ones are looking pretty good as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, and I think he did a really good job on the the tile of it like when you put Mm -hmm. nine or 12 of these together the pattern is there but it's way less of a repeating like you you can't really see the block so much anymore he's done a really good job of varying the sizes of the chunks within the patterns and stuff and that's not easy to do the tessellation thing that's i've done some texture work like that before it's hard to make it not look like a grid uh and and i really like the gold one the gold one is is standing out to me as, as something very, very cool. I am um, also, I was just, I was peering in, uh, trying to figure out while you were talking, like, what am I looking at? There's a lead on the ground in one of his screenshots. I'm just like, <laughs> what is that? Yeah. But I'm just, it's really funny. That obviously there must have been a wandering trader that he got fed up with. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think a
1: follow-up tweet said something like, a wandering trader and his companions may have died to make this screenshot happen. <laughs> they, they, they do tend to turn up, even if you're playing around in creative mode, They'll. they'll find you. Um, Speaking of the raw ores though, let's talk about ore veins because I feel like this has been quite a divisive uh, topic amongst the community. I think a lot of people are largely speaking in favour of them, but there are definitely people who are arguing that these veins are too frequent, they're too large, the amount of resources they leave you with is kind of overpowered i've done a bit of research into this myself or not like (laughs) not kind of hard uh, facts and graphs kind of research but i've played around in survival a bunch and seen if i can find them and I i made a video about this earlier in the week and then did a stream to see how lucky i got with the single world i made for that video just to see if i could find these veins easily enough um and from the worlds that i generated i think i found copper veins maybe about 50% of the time, starting in survival every time from scratch uh, with random seeds, and I never found an iron vein except for the one I- the one world I generated for the video. Uh, And they must have been out there somewhere, but I can safely say that the one in my YouTube video was a pretty lucky find. Um, I think stumbling on a large ore vein like that is meant to be kind of a big deal, and personally I think it's kind of weird that we find them overpowered given our previous chat that we had an email a couple of weeks ago or maybe even last week about how quickly players can set up iron farms so I think this is an interesting balance to that and I think it's strange that because iron farms are a technical thing we see them as somehow like a harder thing to do than to go mining when for technical players is actually relatively easy now to set up an iron farm So I I don't know if I think these new veins are particularly overpowered, even with fortune in play, because they just stick to iron ore and copper ore. I think anything more than that, and you might run into problems, but uh, yeah, I'm interested in your thoughts on this one.
0: So I was surprised at my reaction because of my two hours of snapshot gameplay a week and a half ago and not finding but one single piece of iron for a shield to go caving with and uh in watching your video i i felt like it was just too much it, it took the you know searching around for copper and finding you know six or eight blocks in the wall of this thing or you know finding another three or four in the in the wall of a ravine uh, you stumble upon so much of it that you're no longer searching i mean sure you have to mine it out but it really is just like, just mine a couple blocks in any in, in the direction that you think this is going. You're probably right. And it's so big that you're just going to get a lot of what you need. Now, I mean, is is that good? Um, I guess, like if you want to build something with a lot of copper, and I think that some of my, my reaction to it is tempered by, I don't really care about the copper block. Like I don't mm-hmm. see myself using a lot of it outside of these, you know, um, copper stills I'm going to make in the keep. I, you know, I don't have a lot of build ideas for copper. Uh, it's got some cool color changing properties. Do I feel like waiting around and waxing it at the right time? Also, no, like it's just, it's one of those things where I'm looking at my time investment in the game. What is going to be more enjoyable for me? And while yes, it would be cool to find a lot of a block that I want. It's also just kind of feels like, well, now I'm no longer looking. So it takes away that experience of walking down a cave, walking through a ravine, and catching the glint of something in the wall and going, ooh, that's iron, or ooh, that's copper. And if you already have a copper vein and you're out exploring the world, and you go, oh look, copper, don't care. I have a thousand copper waiting for me at this copper vein that I discovered, you know, in the other direction from my base. So if I wanna mine copper, rather than pillowing up to this copper i see in the wall a ravine it's really a better use of my time to then go back and mine out more of this giant vein which to me kind of takes some of the fun out of it and correct me if i'm wrong but i thought during minecraft live in the fall that they were describing these veins as larger than normal um ore deposits. And I think they said like 16 or 24 blocks. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly. I feel like the impression that I got was like, okay, cool. Like once in a while, instead of finding a couple of diamonds or a couple of iron ore blocks, you're going to find 16. Awesome. I did not expect these to be biome sized.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they And they cross into multiple biomes in some cases as well. They're basically like rivers I'm finding. And it's, It's interesting because copper, like you say, doesn't really have that many uses. And so, like you said, if you're not that interested in copper and you're sitting on a whole bunch of it, then you're going to mine out some of that and then not worry about it in other caves. But I find myself doing that with iron now because of how easy it is to build iron farms. I think it's the kind of thing where copper doesn't really have something like an iron farm for it yet yes we can get it to drop from the drowned but they drop it about as often as a regular zombie drops an iron ingot which is to say not very often so i think in terms of copper it's balanced for people who want to build with it and everybody else can just leave it alone and that's kind of okay because those people probably weren't going to mine every you know clump of copper that they found in a cave wall anyway and i think beyond that I think making the iron veins more scarce means that it's slightly more balanced in terms of the amount of iron you can acquire in the early game if you just luck into one of these. But for later on, it provides a reason to keep going caving. Not to mention the fact that iron veins only spawning below Y0 means you have to gear up for a bit more of a a longer caving mission And below Y0, you're pretty much guaranteed to be in a cavern layer rather than a ravine or something like that. And so the opportunity for mobs to ambush you is a lot higher. You need to prepare a little bit more of the area so that you can be safe mining all of that stuff out. And it's not just going to be like a strip mine. I think ultimately we are balancing some of these new additions, like ore Veins, against the amount of boredom players would put themselves through in order to branch mine for resources in early game mojang doesn't necessarily want us all digging tunnels everywhere because caving is more fun and then running into something like this could be even more fun than that i think there are going to be some people who just won't want to do it anyway because either they think oh that's too easy or they think you know they want to explore a little bit more of the world and then fine that vein is going to be there if you want to come back to it later but i think if you want to start building with copper right away which i think is often their their, their, their their main interest with some of the new features that are implemented is how can we give players access to this relatively quickly and we found mm. that with the re-weighting of the enchantment table to favor crossbow enchantments which i might just be imagining but anecdotally they come up a lot more than other enchantments because they are newer um it's it's so difficult re-rolling for unbreaking when all you're getting is piercing and multi-shot and so i think the um the same thing is maybe true of stuff like this you want a bunch of copper there it is right on the surface and Anybody who doesn't care about that can really uh, ignore it. Uh, it's worth pointing out that uh, Henrik Nibberg, uh, I assume that's how he pronounces his last name, apologies if I've got that wrong, um, has tweeted about more iterations on the ore veins There are a couple of accompanying videos uh, which show them kind of in, in 3D so you can kind of pan around because this is, you know, a world where he's clipping through the scenery and it's just displaying, or, or it's a void world where he's uh, generated some of these veins. And they are planning to make them slightly smaller and kind of cluster the resources in clumps. So potentially there's a little bit more of a gap between a section of ore and tough or granite. And then the vein continues maybe a, fl- a few blocks away into the wall. So you're not just following every block along this kind of trail of the vein. You're actually, you know, having to do a bit of guesswork in determining, okay, if it was heading in this direction, Could it be headed that way into this wall or is it maybe going to branch out in a different direction? And, you know, adding a little bit more mining into that that isn't just you collecting resource after resource after resource. Um, He said the idea is to bring more variation and challenge to it and make the trail a bit less obvious. And he also pointed out that just balancing them is going to be tricky. So this Hmm. data pack edition was really the first time we've gotten a look at these larger ore veins and I expect there'll be a lot of player feedback and developer input going into how they end up in the finished caves and cliffs generation this is another thing that i'm certain just play testing this so it feels balanced is going to be one of the things that's pushing the world generation stuff back into winter for caves and cliffs part two
0: yeah I, how would you feel if these were one third the size and one third is frequent
1: I think I'd still be okay with it, (laughs) that's the thing, like, having not really found iron ore veins all that much, I think really what it comes down to is what you need the iron for. I'm gonna use iron as the example here because copper only has a couple of uses right now, but in early game you want enough iron that you can make tools, armour, have enough for a backup thing, maybe enough to make an anvil. And then it's hoppers, right? That's realistically mm-hmm. what you need an iron farm for in the technical stages of the game is hoppers, maybe like a stack of iron to make a stack of pistons or whatever stuff you want to do for some more automated farms. And so I think finding one of these should give you enough iron for, you know, a few anvils worth kind of thing. Like, If you can make a stack of iron blocks out of these, I think that is probably too much but then there will definitely be people who want to make something that big and see an iron vein like this as a fun alternative to just getting, you know, a double chest worth of iron ingots out of their iron farm. And I think think finding them less frequently would be totally fine, I think having them even be smaller would be totally fine because anything more than, you know, 8 to 12 iron ore blocks in one place is going to be exciting for somebody who's just harvesting iron at that stage but is this going to be something that most players stumble into while they're still gearing up in their world? No. And I would even argue that they're probably not even going to take the time to mine it until they're a bit more set up and they have fortune and they can really make the most out of a giant yield of iron like that. So- yeah,
0: yeah, you're going to pick up the stuff that you need for now and then come back later and, and and go for it. Like Unless you happen to stumble upon it and have lucked out and have a silk touch pickaxe, you're, you're going to probably come back to it later. And if it's not, if they're if they're too frequent or if they're too large without enough gaps in the between, like I this is a guess, but my my intuition on player behavior was like, hey, cool. There's an iron vein here. And then they just strip mine. Like you why follow try to follow the veins when like you're gonna need blocks at that stage of the game anyway and just mine out a giant chunk. You know, like just three chunks by three chunks. Just go, you know, like clean it all out. And you'll just end up hitting so much iron that it'll be worth it, right? I think at
1: that stage it comes down to mining speed, really. It's it's mm-hmm. because it's all in deep slate and tough. Uh, I don't know about tough, but Sorry. deep slate. You can't insta mine. Uh, so I think it's it's kind of um, it, it's it's kind of interesting seeing how that stuff is balanced with just the raw amount of effort that you have to put into clearing out that level of area. And even with efficiency on a diamond pickaxe, it's going to take you a while. So you've either got to put the grind in, or you know. The, the alternative at this point is you can spend exactly the same amount of time, possibly even a little bit less, looking for a village and setting up an iron farm, at which point right. you have more or less the same resources, but pe- potentially in perpetuity <laughs> at that stage yeah. if you've just got a, a permanent iron farm built somewhere. So I think in, in terms of the meta of the game, when you look at the, the broad picture and not just, hey, people want to mine and running into this seems kind of OP, I think they're actually pretty balanced right now.
0: Sorry, my mind slipped. I said iron. I meant copper. Like, yeah. so, because I, when I was talking about digging things out, I was thinking sand, dirt, grass, like yeah. stuff that's easy, easy to get rid of. Uh, but that again provides that you, you this also in, says, like, assuming that the player wants copper, you know, that's the, that's the, the exactly and, and like yeah, yeah. Cop,
1: copper just isn't going to be used for enough stuff that people are going to want loads of it you know it's it's not we don't have copper hoppers yet uh, we don't have no. any, anything no. like that and maybe once copper becomes usable if they have plans for this in future for something more like redstone for any kind of like technical purpose then i think it's going to become a lot more desirable to have in those large quantities but until then it's a building block. Is really yeah. what it is. It's you, you. You build one spyglass. You know. You you craft. You know uh, a couple of lightning rods to protect your builds, and then you start building underground because this is the cave update, and you don't <laughs> really need to protect anything from lightning strikes. Yeah. And, and then you just use it as a building block from that point onwards. And yeah. As, as a bu- I'm I'm fine gathering as many building blocks as they will throw at me at this point. So, I, uh, I I'm interested to see how these things evolve. But really, for a first pass, this wasn't as bad as I think people are making it out to be.
0: Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm what do you
1: think of uh, dripstone growth see that's really cool and it makes me very happy to see them incorporating like natural world geological mechanics into this Mm -hmm. update um it's been suggested by a lot of people and i expect there's been a lot of work behind the scenes to actually make it happen Um, It makes a lot of sense with dripstone caves not arriving until the holiday half of Caves and Cliffs to have some way of growing this stuff and making it more permanently renewable um, before you can just go out and mass harvest it from a biome like that, the way you deforest a a, a dark oak forest instead of replanting and growing it. But I think... I I haven't really had a chance to play around with dripstone growth. I don't know how in, in terms of time investment because it takes a couple of Minecraft days for it to grow one stage that I don't know quite how how balanced it feels but dripstone is another one of those things like copper where I think there might be a couple of aesthetic uses for it and a couple of mechanical uses for it but I don't see myself using it all that much so the the growth mechanic is nice just on a theoretical perspective from it being a renewable resource but I don't really get super excited about dripstone in the same way that I do about some other stuff in this update
0: yeah i thought the same Uh, you know cool the mechanic makes sense in the same way that you can have renewable lava it's just super slow uh and i've seen some um when they had the the lava drips into a cauldron thing happening earlier uh i um i definitely saw some farms where people were using like piston feed tapes and cauldrons that were being filled up and cycled around at the right speed and i mean it's cool um you'd have to really want a lot of lava for some reason uh and i i do like the idea of anything that happens in the background like if you can set up some some technical build that requires some investment of time from you and then while you're off doing something else you know your dripstone will drip and create more stuff and then you can have pistons collected or whatever when it reaches a certain length Um, i like that idea i don't think you're necessarily going to need a lot of this stuff at least for now unless you really like the dripstone block um then you might want a fair bit of it but uh, you know like to to use it as like you know mob killing mechanisms in in traps or whatever it is that if you wanted to you know create a a wall with like dripstone spikes across the top you're not going to need thousands and thousands of these things and so um that's good because it it happens so slowly that you'd have to build a massive massive farm to get any kind of like regular high yield um to which i think a lot of technical players are like hold my beer <laughs> yeah you know, like, oh, absolutely we are ready for this challenge you know uh and in other ways uh i like that there is something as you mentioned in the game that operates in the same way that the real, real world does uh from a minecraft education standpoint you know like it's it's what a cool way to kind of educate kids in terms of like this is how caves are formed this is why they're so delicate this is why we have to protect these kind of areas like i think it all makes sense
1: yeah having it be just naturally mechanical like that and the fact that it's effectively it's growing uh stalagmites from several blocks away (laughs) vertically is is kind of mind-blowing to me it's the first time that we in my experience really have had anything that affects blocks at such a distance other than the player i suppose like yeah. there's there's not a whole lot i mean aside from you know destroying blocks there's not a whole lot of stuff that creates blocks in this game unless it's a naturally formed you know lava and water source in the same cave and it forms that cascade of cobblestone going down into a, a winding cave structure there's not a lot else that does stuff like that so it's really nice to see them adding a whole bunch of stuff in that you know a- a- affects mechanics of the world that way
0: what do you say we move on into some emails since it is the Chunk Mail Dispenser episode?
1: It is, yes. We've got a of, we've had a lot of news to talk about, but we've had some great email in the last little while. And if you'd like to email the show yourself, uh, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Uh, our first email comes in from Dosage, who is a community minor member of our Discord. Thank you so much for the message. This one, uh, the subject is starting a new world. And the email was just for a point of clarification here, sent on April 10th before the Caves and Cliffs split announcement. Hey Johnny and Joel, uh, I'm getting really excited for this new update. World generation is getting a significant change and there are going to be a lot of new features. I've been thinking of restarting my single player world and I wanted to ask you both if you have any process for choosing a new world seed. What are some other methods and or resources out there to help pick a world? Do you just click generate and immediately start punching trees without any seed or research? I would love to know how you both pick out your starting area location as well after the starting hole slash cave people usually dig out. Lastly, do you have any plans for your Patreon worlds? Thanks for reading and of course, stay chunky, dosage 43. Uh, by the way, restarting the Citadel would be cool, but I would miss seeing all of the progress your community has made,
0: Joel. Well, I can put everybody's, you know, fears at ease and say that we are definitely not restarting the Citadel. Getting this question more and more these days, and I will say just definitively, it's not happening. Uh, I don't see the situation in the future where we're going to be resetting the Citadel. It just doesn't appeal to anyone on the server. So uh, we've have uh, you know, things in place right now where you can teleport, you know, 10,000 blocks and build in a medieval area or build in a modern city. So if you're getting bored of what you're doing, you can re- very easily get that new world experience. Uh, and if even if you don't bring anything with you, you can really have that, you know, kind of like survival kind of go if you want to do that. Uh, so we're going to be staying the same. Uh, and thankfully, there, it sounds like there's going to be some work at Mojang that's going to allow worlds like the Citadel to roll forward with the the new um, Caves and Cliffs updates as they roll through the world generation. Um, the few worlds that I have chosen have been random by association. Uh, to explain that a little bit, for the Citadel, I actually typed in my home street address, which I'm not going to repeat here. Um, but... Yeah, I just, I couldn't think of anything else. I thought, I don't know, I'll just type in my home address and see what the seed looks like. Now, I did research the seed before we started playing. I typed it into, it wasn't amidst, I think it was maybe chunk base or something. It was a website that just kind of gave us a heads up as to where the biomes were. Mm -hmm. And that's because the number of people that we wanted to play on the server were all busy adults. And we didn't want to have to travel miles and miles and miles to get sand, dark oak, jungle. Like we wanted the basic biomes kind of within- A 1,000 blocks. So I double-checked the seed. It looked really cool, so we decided to go with it. Uh, For the world that I'm on now, in the snapshot, I used my hometown. I just typed in the word Dartmouth, and it gave me a really cool seed. Again, just by luck, I I loaded it up quickly. Before I did the stream, I just kind of looked around and thought, like, yep, that's cool. And then I deleted the world, and I I loaded it fresh, like, during the stream, just so that it was all kind of happening in real time. Uh, and I just lucked out, you know, there happens to be an ocean, a dark oak forest, and, uh, I want to say a a meadows nearby. And then I'm in a desert with a desert village. Like I basically spawned on top of it. So like very easy start. Didn't have to build a house. Didn't have to hunt for food. Barely have had to farm anything. Like I just, it's been all been kind of handed to me. So for the purpose of exploring the snapshot, it was kind of a, a golden seed for that kind of a thing um beyond that like i just i don't have a lot of experience with um with starting new worlds because i've been playing on the citadel for four years so i've really only done it three times and the very first world i played on which is called eternia wasn't set up by me that was my friend Stephen esc and his boys uh they set it up and then invited me to play so i just i still have that world but i didn't select the seed i just kind of kind of stumbled into it with them how about you? Like, what? How do you pick your your starting seeds?
1: Uh, in my case, when I was playing casually, I just found more fascination with typing in, you know, numbers or words that were significant to me. I've used my birthday a couple of times, you know, v- various bits and pieces. But um, for the survival guide, which is you know where I spend most of my time these days, as my only real long term world, I went with a random seed because part of that series and part of the fun for me in general is reacting to what the landscape gives me. And to some extent, for the tutorial aspect of the series, proving that you can start a successful Minecraft world from anywhere. And once or twice, you know, I, I, I can get a spawn that... You spawn on an island with no trees. And uh, you, you have to swim to the nearest island that has them. And that's, that's happened to me once or twice when I've been generating random worlds for streams or for other projects and um, just test worlds for stuff. And I actually reset an early take of the survival guide that spawned an island with no trees because honestly swimming to the mainland is not necessarily my idea of introducing people to minecraft although it, it can happen so introducing those mechanics fairly early made sense um it's a fun challenge sometimes when those things get thrown at you and some people do seek out those kind of survival island seeds although they were a much more interesting proposition when there was a finite world size for something like the xbox 360 worlds or something I think there was one seed that was like Mjolnir or something, like the name of Thor's Hammer. If you put that into the Xbox 360 edition, it would spawn you in a map that had like the majority of it as ocean and only like a couple of um, a couple of loose islands here and there. And that was really the survival island seed for people who played on the old legacy console edition. Um, but then outside of that, I've been on a few multiplayer servers where... Uh, folks on my Patreon server, since you mentioned that, do the same sort of approach, uh, where we search for and suggest seeds, like, and talk about them in a Discord chat or whatever chat we have going at the time, um, based on either seeds that people have just loaded up at random or words that they've tried, and, you know, usually they will load that into a uh, a mapping tool like Chunkbase or Amidst or Mine Atlas or... Any of the sort of more popular ones that you can just generate a world at short notice and then they look for you know where the spawn is where a decent spread of biomes are because most of the time on a multiplayer server the concern is if you have to go tens of thousands of blocks out to get certain resources say like a jungle or a mesa or something like that you find that Not only is that just a tiresome journey for players, but that also affects the world size on disk performance for the server. All of that kind of stuff gets factored in. And if you want to have a server with a world border so you don't exceed a certain size, then you need to make sure that your, you know, key biomes and all of the resources available are going to be within that, like, you know, 4,000, 5,000, 10,000 block area, whatever you want to have. And so... A lot of the time people look for seeds which have all of those biomes distributed within a certain area, technical players might look for a seed with multiple witch huts close to each other so you can make a really big witch farm for all the redstone you're going to want, and just a fun project like that. Um, And a lot of the folks on my Patreon server usually insist on having a mushroom island close to spawn because, uh, like Hermitcraft has with their current season, you can use it as a hostile free commercial district and you can guarantee that whatever shops you build there, you don't have to worry about lighting up the entire island in order to make sure that you don't get zombies there spawning overnight and so forth. So there are a lot of different considerations. It really depends if it's a, um, uh, a solo project, which I think Dosage's email said this was a single-player world. I, I like a roll of the dice when it comes to single-player stuff because it always feels like fun just figuring out what the world is saying to you when you first load into it and how your plans develop and change as you go compared to planning everything out beforehand and things feeling a little bit more calculated. I like the challenge of something a little bit more random myself.
0: And with the Citadel and the new build zones, oh, you know, I've actually loaded up the seed into a creative world and and teleported myself around, you know, 10,000 blocks in different locations because for that use we're actually looking for aesthetic land masses like we're looking for a big mesa for the western build we're looking for a big you know uh, mountainous region with a jungle nearby for the you know asia pacific kind of area so we had some kind of like aesthetic requirements and to address you know dosage's email about um how, like how we choose the location i generally just kind of wait to be inspired like i kind of want to look around and be just like actually hey there's a really cool cliff that looks like a hook we can maybe put some cool on that or hang something from it uh, other times you're just like i just want to it's early game i want to build in a meadow so i don't have to clear cut in order to just mm-hmm. have room to build a house you know sometimes it's easier to have things um i know with dartmouth meadows the initial settlement for our area it wasn't terribly far from spawn it was a little bit of a walk but i thought that was okay uh and there was a mountain a mine uh and a spruce forest nearby so i knew that i wanted to use spruce wood and not oak wood for a lot of what i was going to do so you know that that was kind of our decision there um we'll run for fun in our chat is saying like don't forget you can always uh, move spawn on say like a you know on any server or a single player world and that's actually what we did on my patron server on infinity cove uh we were looking for a location that would be right the seed was pretty good. We had specific requirements from my community as to what they wanted in terms of the same thing that most multiplayer servers want, you know, resources within a reasonable distance, that kind of thing. And I just kind of, I made the executive decision that there was a really cool place with a big flower forest and a, and a really cool kind of like inlet and harbor. And so we just moved spawns to be a little bit closer to it. Uh, and it allowed people to then, um, you know, spawn in a, in a location that was near Uh, all the cool places to build and very quickly it became the community hub and so uh it makes sense to have spawn nearby for that Uh, as far as resetting the patron server i i i don't get the impression that that's on the list from the players on the server ultimately it's up to them Uh, i'm i'm happy with the people playing on the server making that decision although i wouldn't want it to be like just down to a a 50 50 vote like i'd want the majority of people on the server to be okay with a reset if that was going to happen. I think it would have to be close to unanimous uh, for that sort of thing. But um, again, with the efforts that Mojang is putting in, that might not be necessary depending on what players want.
1: Yeah, and once again, it's worth noting that this email was sent before the update uh, split announcement. So potentially Dosage can keep hold of the current single-player world for a little while longer before updating maybe around winter for the full effect of of caves and cliffs it'll be interesting so <laughs> if Dosich wants to write in in however long uh however long time until uh once once that world has been reset and you start a new single player world let us know how it goes
0: for sure next email comes in from piano mac power the Xlotl question Hey, Pix and Joel. I was looking at the Minecraft launcher changelog the other day, and I noticed that there was a string of standard galactic alphabet, the enchantment table writing, at the bottom of the changelog. They've included that in the email. We'll have that in our show notes. And it translates to, the axolotls are not what they seem. Any thoughts? Love the show. Piano Mac Power. First off. Good catch. <laughs> like, <laughs> d- did not even clue in that this was a thing. I forget that the uh, galactic alphabet is even a thing that can be translated uh, most of the time. Uh, it's, it shows how I came into Minecraft late, right? So I didn't get in under the hood on all the little things because there was just so much to get into. Like, you just get distracted and you for- you just don't end up going down those different rabbit holes as you're waiting for new updates. Um, but yeah, I... I don't know what it could mean about axolotls, but upon a little bit of of thought here, I'm wondering because they have talked about axolotls being a a predator, uh, and if you are going to be using them to attack hostile mobs and protect yourself on, say, like a, a monument raid, ocean monument raid, maybe axolotls will not differentiate between the player and food unless you keep them well-fed. Like maybe you have to make sure that you're keeping them full of fish uh, so that they won't think that you're just another one of their enemies that they have to eat. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Could be a, an interesting mechanic to balance. Um, yeah, I, I was I was fully ready to write this off as just like, you know, a little bit of theory bait, as it were. Like axolotls from space is a thing. Um, <laughs> but having looked into this a little bit more i did notice a post about this on reddit a while ago and i think some theory youtube channels have kind of picked this up and run with it at this point that axolotls are actually uh the pink axolotls are the inverse colors of the warden so if you take a picture of a pink axolotl and you know go into photoshop or whatever image editing software oh, and yeah. mm-hmm. uh put an inverse color filter on it it turns that kind of luminous green and like dark green that is used in a lot of the concept art at least for the warden and we haven't really got the warden to play around with in game yet so we've only seen a few kind of preliminary uh screenshots of it i think they're actually trying to keep the warden a little bit more mysterious now and not spam pictures of it all the time because Again, as King B Dogs was talking about a while back, part of the suspense is not knowing what it is. Um, but some people have suggested that maybe the Warden and axolotls are linked because of this color comparison and the idea that yeah, if if you you can do the same thing with the Warden. Actually, if you invert the colors of a Warden, it turns pink and might be you know a little a little bit more uh, a little bit less scary for some people if it's if it's just bright pink. But um, yeah some people thought maybe the warden is an evolved or a corrupted axolotl and the way that they're designed in the concept art they seem to have some sort of connection the concept art that was shared around minecraft live shows the warden with an axolotl on its arm as though they're kind of talking to each other of it as though it's got like a bird resting in its hand kind of thing and if you look at the way their faces are designed they each have the kind of fronds uh coming off of their the tops of their heads and then their mouths are just like a basic shape and again that's you know minecraft texture not trying to over design the things because the the um you know block models of the creatures in game are going to be relatively simplified but it does interest me that there is that color connection and while it's obviously yeah just a a fun theory uh i am i am interested in if they've intended some of this stuff and if that's going to be taken any further and we're going to learn more about it as a result or if that's just going to be a fun theory that the uh, the fans have been tempted to look into. I don't know.
0: I like that idea way better than mine. Like I, <laughs> I that That's a really cool... I never even made that connection. And I've seen that concept art before. I just kind of thought that they were just kind of putting them on the same page, you know, like just kind of messing around and seeing what was what. I, I didn't really think about them as, uh, as a potential... Um, symbiotic relationship perhaps and wh- which is funny because as far as we know the axolotls don't really make any noise do they i mean they make swimming noises but they don't actually like you know chirp or do anything in the game so if they're super quiet then that could potentially maybe lead us to believe why they would be friends with the warden
1: yeah maybe maybe i can't recall what they've got in terms of chirping noises i think they do have some but i think they're they're relatively quiet and you you don't think that the warden and axolotls would find too much in common in their environment because i think axolotls are mostly meant to be waterborne they start to take damage after they get out of water so i don't Mm. know what the chances are of one of them encountering the warden but it'll be interesting to see if there's some other easter eggs that kind of come into play once we have both mobs together in game Moving on to uh, the next email though, this one comes from Stephen W and the subject is wax use. Hi, I was thinking about the use of wax to stop copper from oxidizing and another use of it occurred to me. Has it been discussed before to use wax to stop redstone circuits from being washed away by water? Having just experienced this again in my item sorter, it sure would be nice to prevent that from happening. Waxed redstone dust and other redstone devices like comparators, repeaters, redstone torches could then stand up to an accidental water spill. Stay chunky, Stephen. And I love the voice of experience, (laughs) the the, having just experienced this again, (laughs) Stephen is definitely tired of water washing away that redstone and considering how frequently we now use water streams to move items around, you'll have encountered some of this yourself i expect joel with using uh, water streams and honey blocks in your storage system it is always a misclick away from disaster when you're building with water and redstone in the same place so i can see this appealing to a lot of people what do you think
0: this is why i didn't want to put uh chests and slabs along my uh water stream To align the objects, honey blocks are a better option for me because it completely cuts off the water from ever escaping and I cannot waterlog a honey block by misclicking on it, Mm -hmm. uh, which I have done before. Uh, Most of my issues actually in the uh, deep, dark, keep basement were creeper related. There was at least two. Uh, And uh, I agree. I think that it would be a neat idea to be able to wax uh, redstone things. But the problem, I think, is the uh, floodgates that would open Uh, if these things were able to be waxed, there will be other things that players would also want to wax like concrete powder so that you can put it next to water or, uh, corals so that you can put it away from water and have it not turn into, you know, gray death. Uh, I feel like things like ferns, flowers, grass, banners, signs, torches, uh, would all be on that list. So I love the idea. I just don't see Mojang doing it because of what it would end up kind of like spilling out into.
1: I'm pretty sure wax torches are just waterlogged candles, right? <laughs> I think that's, yeah. <laughs> that's how that works. Um, yeah, I, I think we're heading in a direction where redstone could have functionality like this. I mean, it's between that and using copper for electrical conductivity. Um, and I don't really have the imagination, or I guess the knowledge of IRL circuitry, uh, to come up with additions to redstone beyond stuff that just makes it more usable in a variety of situations um and i think having waterproofed redstone has been quite a you know a a hot topic for a while i think in some cases like in bedrock edition i think you can waterlog a lot of redstone components now so that may be something that turns up as a parity change in future regardless of the wax edition i just think um you know it comes down to the same thing with minecart rails where a, a water source block won't wash it away but flowing water will and differentiating between the behaviors between the two um my my answer to this really is that the problem is you can wax redstone before you expect water to interfere with it but it doesn't Seemed that it would work that way, the other way round, because you couldn't place the redstone dust underwater and then wax it, because it would already have popped away, or it wouldn't have allowed you to place it to begin with. So, I think if they do plan to make a redstone dust more viable underwater, I'd hope it would be a solution that allows us to place redstone in areas that are already waterlogged, and like I, I think it is at least a a realistic possibility that we could have something like that in future. I don't know if wax is the right thing to do it, but maybe wax copper and redstone making some sort of copper wire that you could use. There you go. Uh, or anything yep. like that, yeah. like It comes down to, is this going to be a crafting recipe? Is this going to be a behavior like with uh, waxed copper now where you can right-click on it and which of these approaches feels the most consistent within the mechanics of the game? I think there's, there's a lot of scope for stuff like that. I think this is heading in the right direction and I think eventually we're going to see redstone maybe getting some kind of overhaul and not changing the system that we currently have, but there may come a point in Minecraft's future, potentially a decade or more down the line, but it might happen, where they need to revisit Redstone and figure out what is the functionality that is currently missing from that. And I think interaction with blocks, being able to go up walls, floating, you know, going through water, that kind of stuff, There, there is potential for other ways around that that don't just involve the things we have now like you know conducting redstone power through a series of note blocks and observers or something like that you know the the kind of waterproof solutions we have right now that are just full blocks and and function stuff like that the question is uh how much of this stuff is going to be made obsolete looking at the broader examples here not steven's example specifically by skulk sensors because now you have the ability to have you know a sound pass through And trigger a redstone conductivity from you know from the other side of a set of water blocks if you wanted to just and and skulk sensors being able to be waterlogged you don't even have them making any noise themselves so there's there's maybe some potential there for bypassing issues that would need that probably not for your item sorting system but uh yeah potentially there'll be ways around that before we need to get to waterproof redstone to begin with
0: I like the idea of rather than uh, waxing redstone components, but instead having copper versions of them be water resilient. I guess the only difference there is that you end up with copper before you end up with iron in the current, you know, Caves and Cliffs uh, generation snapshot through you know, snapshots. So it feels like you'd get the better redstone before you get the basic redstone. But... Um, I don't know, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say. Well, no, I guess there's not really any iron in comparators and repeaters. I, yeah, I, I love the idea of instead of waxing to waterproof redstone, that there's a different way to craft things. Because to me, I think being able to place repeaters and comparators underwater, it should just be the way that it works. You can do it with trapdoors. I, I don't think it needs to be anything different. Um, but the redstone dust, just in its name alone, just kind of implies that it's not gonna be something that you can put underwater. Um, in the same way that concrete powder turns into, t- turns into concrete when it's next to water. Um, but I like the idea of combining it with copper, giving copper a technical use, a separate use. Um, being able to run copper wire or redstone wire, however you want to put it, up a wall, along a ceiling. That kind of stuff would really open up a lot of really cool things. So imagine being able to run copper wire directly up the middle of a block, much in the same way that you can stack um, lightning rods on top of one another you know and so that you wouldn't have to have these redstone torch towers and stuff um i think it opens up some possibility but like you said you know then you run into the skulk sensors like well what's going to be more efficient you know running this redstone wire or just putting you know skulk sensor a and b a few blocks apart and having it go wirelessly um it's going to be interesting and i think you're right i think there's definitely going to be a a renaissance or a, or a revisit to some of the the basic mechanics. I think maybe just giving players more options. So keeping things relatively the same, but then opening up the, uh, in the same way that Minecraft is a sandbox game, I feel like they kind of have to apply the same thinking to Redstone. So rather than having it be kind of a, you know, you have to do it this way or it doesn't work. I kind of like the idea of having Redstone being like, well, there's a couple different ways you can do it. And depending on where and how you want to build it, all of them are kind of right, and I think that might be a more fun way to make redstone more approachable for people too.
1: Yeah, I, I think that the the thing about redstone right now is that the components aren't all that specialized, right? A lot of the stuff is just basic components that people make into something more complex. And mm-hmm. if you start adding in more complex components, if you start making it a little bit more like, um, you know, real life electrical circuits where they become sort of microchips and stuff after a while or like compacting certain circuits into the size of a single block then a lot of the time you end up with a system that feels a little bit more like esoteric rather than something that you can puzzle your way through and i think that's one of the more compelling aspects of redstone for people is that you are just laying wires and putting in a couple of things like i think anything more complicated than a comparator and comparators feel quite complicated to begin with when you're starting out using redstone, it it doesn't necessarily have a place in the redstone ecosystem right now. And so, yeah, I'm looking to more practical changes like this rather than mechanical changes to redstone. So, we will we'll
0: see. Final email today comes in from Orca, and the subject is a batty idea. Hi, Joel and Pixariffs, I've been keeping an eye on the upcoming update to Minecraft and I've noticed that there isn't really anything being done with bats. With bats being in Minecraft for so long, and because they're usually found in caves, I was hoping that there might be some kind of small update, but as of yet, I haven't seen anything that would really do much for them. Recently, I was chatting with someone about the topic of bats dropping bat wings for potions, and I thought maybe wondering if there could be some sort of special drop from bats, or a rare variation of a bat that could drop an item that could then be used in really dark caves in some way. I also thought a bit about how in real life caves there are sometimes large colonies of bats and how that might be interesting to bring into Minecraft. What do you guys think, Orca? To the bat cave, Robin. (laughs)
1: Let's let's see. Yeah, I I like the idea of there being bat habitats. And I think right now, I think we can agree, bats are really just signposts for caves, right? Like they're ambient Mm -hmm. mobs. You hear a bat squeaking behind a wall you think oh okay a dark space is down here somewhere that a bat has spawned in therefore cave that's only really useful for peaceful players though because for everyone else hostile mob noises are much more reliable when you're digging for caves like i know the direction that a zombie is much better than i know the direction of a bat because zombies mostly don't move around like they are you know just a, a bat out of hell quite literally you know they're, they are they're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're flying all over the place bats and i think it becomes much more reliable to follow noises of zombies skeletons etc when you're digging for caves i think tying bats to specific generation or maybe implementing bat caves would be kind of useful because at least you would know what you were getting and perhaps part of the randomness sort of appeals in a way but i think uh Yeah, having having bats now that they're looking at things like dripstone generation, where it feels much more like realistic to the natural world, I think maybe having bats prefer certain locations might be something on the table for the future.
0: That's where my brain went as well. Was you know, what if bats didn't just spawn in caves? but only spawned in a specific kind of cave, like you said, a dripstone cave, or maybe specific things like abandoned mine shafts, meaning like, oh, you've found some caves, but if you hear a bat, you might be about to stumble onto something really special. Maybe amethyst geodes. Uh, Amethyst geodes have really unique sounds to them. They have kind of vibrations associated with them so far. Uh, I think bats could, um, it it wouldn't be a a far conclusion to say bats are drawn to the resonance of a a geode, you know, same with the deep dark, you know, maybe bats could be uh, a signpost for eventually finding the deep dark because of the way that (laughs) sound and skulk sensors and everything works, right?
1: I I just, I just got the the mental image of a bat flying around the warden in circles and the warden just kind of swatting at it randomly, like, (laughs) no, stop, back.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) when when the the warden responds to sound and the bat's method of travel is echolocation you can imagine yeah. mm. the rock you know meeting an immovable object absolutely yeah unstoppable force and yeah
1: i i do think that the the bat warden dynamic would be quite, a, quite a, a funny one to explore but uh yeah i i love the idea of them spawning in specific biomes or in specific structures i i worry then that the caves connecting those structures would just end up leading them out into caves anyway and we end up with the same problem because their movement is so random and they don't tend to really stop in the same way that uh you know other mobs will stop moving when they're out of range of a player um so i think maybe You know while it sounds good in principle unless that is a a closed system like a geode is then you're you're probably going to get bats escaping that and ending up in other places anyway um the other half of this email the idea of them being functional and having some kind of drop is interesting because from what we know about mojang's approach to real life real world animals they Prefer not to have you kill those unless they are domesticated and they are bred for slaughter in real life right so polar bears don't really drop anything particularly useful they drop fish dolphins don't drop anything and they attack you if you attack them uh turtles don't drop anything you get the scoots from turtles when they grow up from babies into adults and so my thought was there have been some really interesting functionalities added to more recent real life animal editions that's given them some useful behavior or non-kill drops and i was wondering what if for example the the thing that we know bats drop a lot is guano (laughs) like Mm -hmm. bat poop covering the surface of a lot of these caves is a fairly common feature of any kind of documentaries when they're they're going out searching for it or just watch the second ace ventura film if you like but um like, I'm, I'm kind of grasping at straws here, but maybe bat guano could be an alternative to bone meal for fertilizing stuff, you know? The, like, the real-life poop connection. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's my line of thinking, is I expect if they added anything like that to bats, it would be a functionality that didn't require you to kill them, but was maybe something that you could gather a bit more passively and if you have the patience to gather enough bats into one area you could make it happen or maybe a bat cave spawns with a bunch of guano on the floor is that just diorite uh i'm 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 imagining (laughs) i'm imagining bat guano is basically an implementation of diorite carpet. and i don't know how people feel about that feel free to at me on twitter and let me know about that one
0: it's probably closer to what Dripstone looks like, actually, in in the game. But but yeah, yeah I can uh-huh. I can I can I can see the conclusion. I see bird poop when I see diorite. I yeah. I still can't mm-hmm. unsee that meme. Um, but yeah, I agree with. you. I think that bats are such an important part of their ecosystem in real life, in the real world. That I I know that Mojang probably doesn't want to. I should say no. I would assume that Mojang doesn't want to encourage players to kill them because it's in the same way that they don't want to encourage them to kill dolphins. Um, it makes sense to me. I'd like to see some love to bats. Like, I think that it could be kind of cool. I You're going to get one heck of a jump scare because uh, bats have certainly startled me before on their own. If you had a couple dozen coming out of a cave at you, and I'm thinking about the uh, bat scare scene from uh, Batman Begins, you know, mm-hmm. when Bruce Wayne falls down the well and the bats scare the crap out of him. Uh, yeah, like that, that would be definitely something uh, to to add to the player experience i would think uh i i don't know i guess in terms of back guano like yeah i know what it is and it would be a cool addition i guess but like it just if it's just bone meal then like it it just kind of adds like a repetitive function to something in the game it doesn't create anything new
1: yeah yeah, I, I kind of agree. That was I was just thinking of like the one thing I know of bats producing in large yeah. quantities and that, that kind of yeah. that was that was where my brain went. But uh, if you here at listening at home have any uh, ideas for what these bats could drop without killing them, then then let us know. Uh, but that's where we're going to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about the show and get links to some of the stuff we talked about today, that is all at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me and the Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener-supported podcast. We don't do any advertising on the show. We get all of our revenue on the show from you lovely people who are kind enough to support us. Where can you do that? You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can join the community, listen to the show live when we record it every Monday, and occasionally get some other things besides. Uh, You also get us closer to our next goals, which is still the monthly Minecraft audio hangout, which uh, we're going to be chatting with people every month about what everyone's been doing in Minecraft, kind of like a community version of the quick login we do at the start of every episode. Uh, we are still holding steady at 250 patrons. Lovely to see that milestone uh, held over from last week. Uh, there's always room for more, of course. Special thanks go out to our content engineers, General pattern 82 GreenerCanuck, Hunter555, JumboSail, and Yitz. Thank you for your support on this episode.
0: Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance. Tell them where they can go to listen to The Spawn Chunks. And that is iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube. Really, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find The Spawn Chunks. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked at thespawnchunks.com and the Patreon-only RSS feed is linked on the Patreon page, the only place where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast
1: my name is johnny but online i go by pixarifs you can find most of what i do at youtube.com slash where i attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the minecraft survival guide i also stream three days a week on twitch where i do behind the scenes work for the survival guide you can also find the vod of the clash of the creators uh event that i mentioned at the top of this episode you can find that on twitch and at youtube.com slash pixel vod's i'm also the voice of the unofficial hermitcraft recap which you can find through a quick youtube search and aside from that i'm at pixel Riffs on both twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online
0: everything i'm doing online including my illustration and design portfolio is at joelduggan.com the Sizzle cafe is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment and we can find that at the talking about falcon and the winter soldier this week gonna be a lot of fun and you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am playing the snapshot every Wednesday when it comes out, as well as building a medieval city on the Citadel. Thanks
1: for visiting the spawn chunks. The world outside is infinite, and there's iron in our veins.